Wednesday, July 19th. It's 2.40 in the afternoon, so the world may be a different place when you listen to us. It's the Mincing Rascals, a news chat podcast, portions of which are heard Saturday nights at 8 p.m. on WGN Radio in Chicago. Our usual host, John Williams, is on one of those lavish vacations that radio stars take, so I'm filling in for him. I'm Eric Zorn, former Tribune News columnist and now the editor and publisher of the Picayune Sentinel, an award-worthy online newsletter featuring commentary, comedy, and argle bargle. I'm Brandon Pope, host of On the Block on WCIU, powered by Block Club Chicago, and the Making Podcast from WBEZ. I am John Hansen. I work at WGN Radio. I work at uh, WCIU-TV as uh, Brandon's uh, Robin to Brandon Batman on the block. <laughs> I work at Block Club Chicago. I work at the Chicago Blockhawks. Eric, did you say you're the award-worthy? Is the picky you Yes. Yeah, award worthy. I haven't won any awards yet, but I feel that I sh- I feel I should. I didn't know, know we could put that in our bios. That's a good one. Absolutely, absolutely could. Well, today I want to talk a bit more about what we're learning about the alleged hazing rituals at Northwestern and the fallout from that scandal, and uh, and also let's ask if Rod Blagojevich will ever learn to shut up and go away. But first, the big local news story this week is that the state supreme court ruled Tuesday that a new law can go into effect. That will make Illinois the first state in the nation to eliminate cash bail. Now, over the objections of most of the state's prosecutors, that law is going to go into effect September 18th. Brandon Pope, good idea, bad idea, too soon to tell. It might be too soon to tell, but I think on its face, it's a great idea. You know, this is a 5-2 decision from the Supreme Court, kind of a little surprising of a decision. Uh, it was part of that criminal justice reform passed in 2021. And, you know, I think this means that this is helps minority communities. The system disproportionately, the, the cash bail system uh, disproportionately impacts minority communities and eliminating that in practice, you would think would help to ensure more equity in the system. There was an interesting stat from the Center for American Progress. They said three out of five individuals in U.S. jails have not been convicted of a crime, which seems really, really not what jails were meant for to be keeping people that haven't been convicted of a crime. So it's going to be interesting. My concern is, will every county and district be able to implement this, you know, in a timely manner? It's more than just the bill is there, the law is there, now do it. There's a lot of things got to be checked off here. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think judges are going to have a lot of power here. They're still going to be allowed to, to detain people. You could argue it gives judges more power than before, but I, I think it's a good thing. And, and Illinois being his first state to do it, a lot of guys are going to be on us to see uh, how we pull it off. So uh, let's hope it makes an impact, a positive impact. I like everything about the not detaining people that can't afford to get out when they haven't been found guilty of anything, right? I think that that would be the thing that should have been shepherded the most about this. And maybe it was that people just don't want to listen to that because I think that's something a lot of people can get behind. We are a country where you are innocent until proven guilty or not guilty until you're proven guilty. And unless it's something egregious or you have a history or you could be violent to the community, it's always been a little strange that you would have to post up a bunch of money to get out of jail for shoplifting or a DUI or something like that. I think it's undeniable that if you let people continue to work, while they continue to mount a defense, even if they are guilty of that crime, they are much less likely to commit those crimes again because you're not prohibiting them from working or having their vehicles or whatever the case may be. So I think that part makes sense. I think that the holdup of the Supreme Court 
wanting to wait to hear oral arguments as opposed to trying to rush a decision, which a lot of people kind of wanted them to do early in the year, actually worked out because a lot of counties were saying, we are not ready for January 1st implementation of this. This really messes talking to defense. We talk about this on Let's Get Legal, my Saturday show on WGN with Audrey Anderson, who's a defense attorney, but also used to work in the state prosecutor's office and has a relative who still is a prosecutor. So she is so entwined with this. And on December 31st, we had a show and she said, people are not ready. Now, hopefully people saw the writing on the wall and spent these last seven months getting ready for this system because it really does change the entire operations of how things work. You have to have longer arguments in front of court. You have to have maybe more representation for people to make those arguments for you. And prosecutors have to be ready to challenge it as opposed to just a a judge saying, $5,000 bail, whatever it is, right? So this is going to gummy up the works a little bit. Hopefully they've spent the last seven months getting ready for it. And Eric, I was listening to you yesterday with Wendy Snyder. I think you put it so well, not to steal the words out of your own mouth and repeat them to you, but it's a legislative action. It's got a good heart to it. You can always take it back if it works poorly, right? I, I agree with that. Wise man, you heard on WGN yesterday. No, I'm, you know, you know I, I think what we're touching on is exactly right, which is that you don't want to criminalize poverty. You don't want somebody who commits a certain crime and can they can get out of jail because they've got the means and someone who commits the exact same crime or very similar crime has to stay in jail because they don't. I mean, that offends everything about the justice system. Uh, you also don't want a system where you let people out of jail uh, before trial who are dangerous to the community. And what's going to happen, I guarantee it, after September 18th, when this goes into effect, is you're going to have somebody who got out of out of jail without bail, and he or she commits some sort of grotesque act of violence, and everyone's going to jump up and yep. down and say, look, see, this doesn't work. But that's happening right now. When you have a system like we have, is that it is it is routine for people who are awaiting felony charges to be bonded out. In fact, the CWB Chicago website counts the number of people who commit who shoot somebody or commit these terrible crimes every year. And there's all there's I think over there fifty or something like that last year. It, this happens. It's going to keep happening. The question is whether it's going to happen more or less under right. this new system. And there is an argument that Brandon put well, which is that that it might happen less because. When you keep people in jail, it's disruptive to families, it's disruptive to communities, and you put them back out if they're not a danger to others, that helps, that works for making people safer. And what I read in the Sun-Times had a a very good uh, rundown of what's happened elsewhere, and it tends to work well. A Harvard University study uh, found that they really didn't find much of an impact at all on crime rates, so that it's really worth trying because the fundamental idea behind it is so just but I think we do need to keep an eye on the numbers. And if and if we're wrong, uh, you know, Alaska had a had a similar kind of reform, and Alaska went back on it. They they reinstated some cash bail because they they felt that it wasn't working. It's unclear from the statistics whether it wasn't working, whether this was an overreaction. But but it certainly can be undone, and so that's why I, I'm not particularly or or at all alarmed by this. I, I really did appreciate though there were many sheriffs who came on WGN and talked about how they are unable to detain people for certain reasons now under this act or when the act was being proposed and and legislated on. I don't know if they've fixed all of those things, right? Like if there's a crazy person in your garage, the police can't arrest them for certain reasons. I guess they, you know, they, they brought up all these scenarios. And I think there are some legitimate concerns about the bill going too far and taking some control out of police hands. So 
I think those are the things that maybe could get refined. I guess what I'm saying is we still need to listen to our local prosecutors and police for boots on the ground. What is happening? What is or isn't working in communities? And maybe leave the bail thing in place, but maybe what they can or cannot charge people with needs to be adjusted. Right. You're talking about the entire Safety Act, that 272-page bill that had, had a lot of provisions in it that are, I think, even more debatable or arguable than than getting rid of cash bail. But this is the one that's got a lot of headlines this week. Right. And and again, I don't see any reason not to try it. If it fails, the General Assembly can amend it or rescind it and, and it can work. But but the fundamental idea behind it that we don't it's not a crime to be poor. It's just, it's difficult to be poor, but it should not be a crime to be poor. It really uh, should obtain. It always bothers me when people would argue against us saying, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime, which I think is mm-hmm. an argument that stands up if you're guilty. But this bill prevents right. people who have not been found guilty of anything yet. Like that's, I can get like, up what behind, if you're innocent? Yeah. Right. I can get behind a little bit of don't do the crime. If you don't want the time. We can argue that another day, but that's a fair argument to make. But these are people that have not been found guilty of anything. And the same people on one side of their mouth who hate this, hate the idea that we would persecute certain politicians before they're actually found guilty in a court of law. And it's like, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth like that. Well, that's really true. But, uh, you know, it is true that this is going to put more pressure on judges not to make a mistake. They're not going to want to be the judge who said, oh, go ahead, uh, home monitoring. We'll put a bracelet on you because we can't ask for cash bail. And then that person commits a terrible crime. Even though it's happening now, I think judges may be more inclined to keep people in, in prison. And and again, a lot of the articles that I've read about this say that it hasn't been studied really well enough to know for sure. And that Illinois is going to be a, a huge test, that there are places in New Jersey and, and Washington, D.C. and New York State, Alaska. These places have tried forms of it, but this is the most radical, the most sweeping elimination of cash bail. And so... I'm glad about it, cautiously optimistic about it. So that sounds like we're all we're all there. I wonder if a lot of the safety act is getting rolled into people's anger at Kim Fox, right? About right. the decisions she makes. And I wonder if that's where a lot of this vitriol comes from. This thought that we are already putting criminals on the street and this is just the exclamation point to it. Yeah, I think it's that a little bit. And also this kind of backlash we're seeing as well to progressive criminal justice policy. I think overall, I think there's a there's some sentiment from some people that maybe we're going too far in progressivism when it comes to criminal justice policy, and that when you go too far to the left with criminal justice policy, it creates avenues for more crime and chaos and things like that, when really there's been nothing yet to prove that, aside from if you just want to have a test case, I guess, Kim Fox's policies. And you could argue Kim Fox catch and release, stuff like that. There are some flaws to that, right? So I think that's an actually good way to look at it, John. Uh, I think a lot of this is if Kim Fox was not Kim Fox and doing what she had done, you probably don't have as swift as a backlash to this as you do. And the misinformation that came with it, I think that was a big part of this too. There was so much Safety Act misinformation out there swirling mailers, infographics, social media graphics, and just were flat out lies. Um, and I think that still has held on to people's minds, too, because it's hard to retract a lie once it gets in people's minds. Moving on, I was appalled on Sunday when former Governor Rob Lugovich lashed out on Twitter at U.S. District Judge James Zagel, who had presided over his federal corruption trials, just hours after news broke that Zagel had died. And Blagojevich tweeted, 
He ran a kangaroo court. Law and justice were perverted. He gave me a 14-year sentence for things he knew were not crimes. And I found Blago's hypocrisy to be off the charts. He admitted wrongdoing at his 2011 sentencing hearing, and his timing was appalling. John Hansen, is this guy ever going to go away? Why do you care so much, Eric? I mean, honestly... <laughs> You didn't read the end of the tweet, which said, my faith requires forgiveness, my condolences to his family. And yes, the top of it was a little, a lot unnecessary, a lot, but like, a lot. but Eric, he's not going away because you care so much, right? Like I saw that tweet and it was just, all right, scroll past it. It didn't like move me emotionally. I was glad he at least ended at the end, like forgiveness and my condolences. We've seen worse responses to people dying on Twitter from a lot of other people. So it didn't even ping a one on my who cares register. Oh man, not me, but this guy, maybe he's just on my nerve. That's the thing I, that uh, I just, I've not yet gotten over how disappointing he, he was to me. But we need a segment called grinding Eric's gears. What's grinding Eric's gears. This, this I, is right there. Can't, this is right there with it, right? Where, where I will give you some bones on this one, Eric, is it is a little annoying that he would say that, even though in his sentencing he was said the exact opposite, right? He admitted some of his role in in the mess, admitted not necessarily admitting his guilt, but like, hey, I've been charged with this, you know, I've been found guilty. And I think that maybe what bothers you is just this entire flip of the script that Rob Bogoyevich is doing, probably shilling just for more money in some way, more fame, more notoriety. That is annoying. But I guess I, I don't have expectations on him, generally speaking. And you seem really hurt by him in some way, Eric. <laughs> like emotionally, that I'm just like, I don't know why you're hanging on so much. I can get why you'd be annoyed by Blago. I'm annoyed by Blago. He just won't go away. And it just feels like a guy who, who should, even when he's like sort of irrelevant, he does things to try to make himself relevant again, like this tweet, you know? So I, I think that part of where Eric is coming from, where I'm kind of with him, like, why are you doing this, bro? Just like, go away, go in the woods, do the Hillary Clinton thing. and just- He can't. He's a politician. He cannot do it. He's a charming. Is he still a politician? He's, I, well, here's what I say. He's got politician blood running through him. I don't think that will ever leave the need to be the one in attention. There's no doubt he's a charming person who can really light up a room when he walks in. People want to talk to him. Wow. I'm what a great serious. profile you're giving I'm not. No, I'm no. not. I'm not saying anything about his policy. I totally agree with with John. I I spent some time around Blago when he was governor, and even before he was governor, he has political skills that are off the charts. He is. He's charismatic. He's charming. He looks in the eye. He remembers that he is. He's got. Bill Clinton level political skills, no question about it in my mind. Part of the, I mean, what annoys me is I think he not only did he have good skills, he had good policy instincts in a lot of cases. He just there was some defect in his personality that that turned him into this vain, chirping, annoying, narcissist. The politician, thin-skinned as well, and uh, he ended up uh, spending some time in in jail, a prison, uh, deservedly so. I thought I sat through both those trials, and uh, and his conduct was was really repellent. I do think that fourteen years was too long a sentence. I didn't particularly object when when uh, President Trump commuted a sentence a couple of years ago. I just wish that they, if they if they could have given him like two years and then said, but then you have to move to Hawaii and not be on the internet. 
I said, that'd be fine with me. I just wanted him to go away. Brandon, I feel like Eric in 2004 placed some bet somewhere that Blanco was going to be president and lost a bunch of money, and he can't get over it. <laughs> show, show me on the doll where the ex-governor hurt you. Yes, right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder if he could have been president. I mean, he obviously came. Oh, he oh, was rising wow. while Obama was, so Obama was probably going to suck the energy out of any room he was in for eight years. So probably not necessarily, but he had – there's no doubt that at some point a lot of people thought that he could end up being president one day. No, there's no question about about his his political talent, and there's a lot of question about his judgment. And I wonder if we've heard the last from him. I, I he, he can't he can run for federal office, so he could run for Senate. But I think he's he's just out of it. He's he's uh, I think he's a spent force, and maybe I shouldn't have paid any attention to him. But it felt good. Frankly, it felt it felt okay. good to unload on him. It felt like it was nostalgic. You got a vent, right? The Minstein Rascals can be for us as well as the audience as an opportunity for us to work through our things. So <laughs> that's right. It's very good. Next up, let's talk about purple hazing. The more we're learning about allegations of what went on at Northwestern under former football coach Pat Fitzgerald, the more disturbing it is. In an interview with the Tribune's Megan Crapeau, former Northwestern player Lloyd Yates, who was once a star quarterback at Oak Park River Forest High School, and he's a 2018 Northwestern grad, he described the training camp hazing as ambushes in the dorm rooms. Players would try to prevent by locking or barricading their doors. The quote in the story is, we would get ambushed by 10 different guys, and they would come hold you down. They would put you in doggy-style position and proceed to dry hump you. Guys would take turns. It's very degrading, dehumanizing, embarrassing. Yates also experienced sexualized hazing in the locker room, including a ritual before practice where teammates would make players perform naked in front of everybody. As a freshman quarterback, he said he had to do quarterback center exchanges, which require close contact, uh, naked. He said he had to snap the football just like you would see on Sunday, but I was in the locker room simulating the act with no clothes on. So he said it was very uncomfortable and humiliating. These uh, Some former players, including Yates, are going to be filing suit against Northwestern. This is worse, I think. It's certainly worse than I thought it was when I first heard the stories. Uh, Brandon, you're an old football player. How how bad is this? I'm just flabbergasted at, like, why do these players enjoy doing this? None of this seems like it'd be fun to do or to have done to you. It's just so odd, strange. And as far as my football experience goes, which is not that vast, it's not common. But I think there is a culture in sports overall that needs to be talked about. And many other kind of fraternities, sororities, clubs, things like that of like this hazing culture. This, oh, what was done to me, I've got to do it to you. And just passing it down, passing it down. And what's fascinating about this whole thing with Northwestern, it, it, it's a story that just it keeps spiraling and keeps rumbling down the hill. There's another lawsuit filed against Northwestern University by a former football player. So that's the second player to file lawsuits against Pat Fitzgerald, saying that he took part in the hazing and the bullying. And he was a student from 2018 to 2022. You also got some former football players that are with attorney Ben Crump. Ben Crump, a familiar name. He's a, a star attorney who's been part of a lot of cases around the country. He's getting, gotten involved in this, has some former football players with him. Um, and he claims that he's got a forthcoming lawsuit coming that includes – 15 players from football, baseball, and softball. As we know, the baseball coach also um, under fire as well. And more, he says, are expected to join. So this is becoming not just a Northwestern football program 
situation, but becoming a Northwestern athletics program situation. And it just goes to show that things don't tend to happen in a vacuum, right? There's a system that has to be allowed for these things to go. Path at zero claims he knew nothing. It's hard for me to believe that as the head coach, the man who's running the ship, that you willingly, that you knew nothing about this. If you knew nothing, I think it's because you chose not to. Your, your role as a head coach is to be a shepherd to these young men through their academic lives and be the the leader of the ship. And it doesn't seem like he did that very well. And in a bigger sense, the AD and things like that, we got to look at them as well. And I'm also curious, why did the NCAA, upon this hazing investigation and seeing, what was it, a two-week suspension for Pat Fitzgerald, not step in? The player makes some money on YouTube and they were ready to suspend a guy for three games. They just didn't raise an eyebrow with this at all. So it's just unfortunate. It really raises the question. Um, I was talking with Patrick Dolan, who's an employment lawyer about this, who has actually written some of these internal investigations, not for Northwestern, but for other companies, right? It just raises a whole question. When when that internal investigation happened, and I'm not saying that the law for I don't know the law firm that did it. I don't know if they did a terrible job. I don't know. Maybe they were as thorough as they can get. When they came out with the report, obviously not public. It won't be made public according to the university. University president reads that and comes up with a two-week suspension. Then he finds out details from the student newspaper. What internal review doesn't get as much information with the power to depose people that a student newspaper – and no disrespect to a student newspaper. They're obviously a great journalism program, and they blew this story wide open. It really calls into question how much Northwestern wanted to actually find out. And I think we all can probably guess. And again, I have no information that they particularly did in this case. But employment lawyer Patrick Dolan told me when he writes these reports, he is often asked to change the language up a little bit. Maybe don't find exactly what you found. And he doesn't. He sticks. He says he sticks with exactly what he wants. But Obviously, an independent investigation that is paid for by the university that has everything to lose, these things cannot be independent. So maybe, to Brandon's point, the NCAA should have stepped in and done their own investigation. Maybe, since it is the only governing body that kind of looks over these universities, maybe we shouldn't allow universities to do internal investigations themselves. We should have the NCAA step in or some other organization step in and do actual investigations into these things so that we don't have what we have at Northwestern where it's, oh, it's two weeks and, oh, now it looks like they're just covering their butts instead of actually doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, power of uh, to depose people. I'm not sure that an independent investigator has uh, power to subpoena people. Maybe you're, but, yeah, maybe you're right. But they had six months, and the Daily Northwestern had like two days, and the Daily Northwestern found stuff that this six month investigation did not. Obviously, a real credit to that paper, which is independent from the Medill School, by the way. Uh, it's actually independent newspaper, and it's always been a good one. Uh, Just like the Daily Illini. The, thank you. And the Michigan Daily. Thank you very much. Brandon, you want to speak up? <laughs> hey, shout out to the Ball State Daily. How about that? <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of student newspapers do a lot of good work, and this this is uh, really, really prize-worthy. They are award, They are also award-worthy, if I may say. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give, them that, give them that designation. But the fact that all this stuff came out so quickly, and the way it was handled, PR, and the way it's still being handled, PR-wise, the fact that the athletic director, to my knowledge, at this at, at, as we speak now, has not said anything. And then the president has issued a couple of mild statements, but has not answered reporters' questions. And maybe now they're going into a crouch because of the lawsuit. This has been, I mean, not only was the hazing 
awful. And but the way it was handled once it came out, once it was investigated, is also awful. And I, I'm guessing that the president may have to resign, the athletic director may have to resign, and they may have to go back and see if there are any players on the team right now who need discipline or need to be thrown off the team for their participation in these r- rituals because they're clearly they were clearly wrong. Should players sue other players? Like, right? Should there be criminal charges filed against players who hazed players after they were hazed themselves? I mean, that really raises an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, if it's physical abuse and emotional abuse, that certainly would raise to the standards of a criminal charge. But do you yeah, hold these players yes. liable? Yeah, well, I, I, it's, it's a good question to ask. I, I don't think you actually sue the players. They don't have any money. You sue Northwestern. It's got a ton of money. That's where the that's where the lawsuit goes. But, uh, well, but criminal yeah, charges it's, it's, then. Shouldn't police be arresting people that they know abuse people? I, I think they should look into that. I think I think this is something that needs to be taken really seriously. If, if what uh, was alleged and make proposed story today is true, that really rises to the level of of a sex crime in a way. And the fact that it's always been, oh, we just, we do this stuff. My other question is, you think, I mean, Pat Fitzgerald was a Northwestern grad. He played football at Northwestern. He was a star player there. And I'm wondering what the hazing rituals were when he was there. I wonder if we're going to be hearing from players uh, from his time who can talk about what went on there. And that it was something that he might've just been part of the culture as far as he was concerned. So he never put a stop to it. Did he know about every time somebody had to pretend to hike a ball to a naked person i i don't know but you know that if he considered it part of the culture then he wasn't vigilant enough at stopping it i would like to see the conferences and the schools not just northwestern now take a more active proactive approach in addressing this um, and making sure it's clear hey this is not acceptable because it can't just be northwestern this was happening no and Northwestern is not a major football program either. So I'm, I'm just thinking, like, Hard. can you imagine Shots what's fired. going on perhaps in Alabama? I'm just so curious. So I think these conferences now need to take a insular approach and say, hey, let's take a look in the mirror, take a look at ourselves. Let's have reviews with our ADs, with our coaches, with our athletes at these summits that we have. And these tra- they have these things already, but they need to go hard on this right here because this is so, so problematic and not great for the sport at all, and not great for these young men. What's the hazing ritual at Block Club? (laughs) No hazing at Block Club, Chicago. (laughs) Now at the U. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, Eric, you do bring up a good good point. And also, when I said that they should hold a play, I I was speaking more hypothetically. I don't know if the criminal charges are warranted. I just, I guarantee there's people listening right now that still would think, like, what's the big deal, right? Like, I I went through something like this in my fraternity, and then I did it to the freshmen, and it bonded us together, right? Like, I think there's this very natural human instinct. It seems to be really prevalent along groups of men that this is part of a process that brings people closer together. And there's clearly a line somewhere, but it's a really gray one on what is acceptable or not acceptable for hazing. And I think that it's unpopular to even entertain that conversation, but it is an interesting one right like there are things that are great about bringing groups together people together in a common goal this stuff that i'm reading seems way over the line incredibly over the line but i think it it builds in a culture over years and decades right maybe that line keeps on moving in different directions and eventually just gets to a point where it's obviously way too much but I, i don't think it's as cut as dry as we're making it like nope get rid of hazing and it's done and it's easy and we're fine it's a hard thing to define what is okay or not okay it's one thing to carry pads across the field or or up stadium stairs or, you know, have to buy lunch for senior captains or 
take on a huge bill. Yeah, that sucks. It's not fun. That's one thing, right? That's part of like, I would call that light hazing culture. But this right here, once you're talking about inflicting sexual violence, humiliation of a sexual nature, that is just really crossing a huge line that goes beyond just a, a, a rite of passage, right? Of a, of a friendly a show of seniority and respect. It goes way beyond that. And so I'm just, for me reading these, I can't imagine being a athlete, whether I'm a freshman or a senior, being the one who's being hazed or the one who was actively taking a part in that and thinking this is okay and thinking that this is something that should be accepted and we'll do it again next year. When you're 18 right. years old, though? There is a thing about group mentality, group think. When you're that young, you're impressionable, you want to be part of the crew. And if the if the main leader is saying, hey, you got to do this, yeah, I get that. There's that group mentality that you're going to want to impress. But this is all so odd and weird. I feel like me at 18, I didn't do nothing really I didn't want to do. That's just me. This wouldn't. That, I don't think this could have happened to me. I'll tell you this. I would not have been the person hazing the people. What's the joy? What joy are you getting in that? Humiliating people? Is that what people enjoy now? That's weird. You know, this doesn't happen. To me. I made a joke about Block Club. Obviously, there's no hazing in Block Club. I, I came to the Tribune right out of college. I that never you got know of, I mean, That you know of, that, that you guys, yeah, that you're, ta- that you're willing to talk about. The investigation <laughs> is ongoing, I'm sure. But like at the, at the Tribune, you know, when you're, when you're a young reporter, you, you don't get plum assignments. But it's not abusive. I mean, someone's got to cover the fires and the accidents and the and the village board meetings and so on. But, you know, that's part of being a young reporter. And it's not and there's there's no sense of it being gratuitous, like, oh, we're going to we're going to make you go out and you know, drive out to Kane County and there's no meeting ha, ha, or something like that. They don't do that. I don't think they do it in any any kind of business. My, my father, who's a Navy veteran, uh, points out that in the military, the training camp and the boot camps are a form of hazing and that they they tend to work to build cohesion. And I'm wondering, do you think there's anything to the idea? Uh, yes. Does build cohesion well, when you abuse each other? Well, I just want to be clear. This is not a gray line. This is over the line, clearly. Right. I guess what okay. I'm saying is, yes, without a doubt, it's over the line. I'm just saying I can understand why it gets to this point, right, where you keep on escalating, you keep on moving where that line is. And it starts as like this, we're going to bond together in this way. We're going to humiliate each other a little bit. And then it just grows and grows and grows. And I can totally see why 18 to 22-year-olds do it and accept it as it's okay, right? Or even if they know it's not okay, why they would never be the one to speak up, right? I can totally understand being in that vibe. And these are not related, but look at gangs. There's initiations with gangs. And you wouldn't imagine ever doing something insane like shooting someone or robbing a place. But the sense of belonging is an incredible allure that I think we overlook when we're not a part of it or when we're older and we're looking back. There is a reason why young, impressionable men end up in these groupthink situations. It's been studied It's since the beginning of time. There are studies that show psychologically why this happens. And it's up to the adults of the room to make clear delineations about where the line is, where it isn't, and set those boundaries. I, I totally agree. It's not only men, though, because certainly women's sports teams, and you say that softball is being investigated in Western. So that's what so happens there. I think it happens some in sororities. It may be more of a psychological hazing uh, True. at that level. Maybe not quite as physical, but it does all go on. Let's wrap up this award-worthy podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, have ju- I have just finished <laughs> watching... 
in the course of a couple of days, I finished Succession and I finished The Wire. I'm the last person in America to watch The Wire. Both incredibly good. And now I don't know what to watch next. And I want a recommendation from both of you. What's What should I watch next? Well, good TV show-wise, I love Shrinking on Apple TV. Got Harrison Ford, who really got snubbed with these Emmy nominations. He definitely should have got one. But the show received a lot of Emmy nominations for its great cast. Jason Segel, Harrison Ford, Jessica Williams. Um, it's about therapists working in a therapist office. And the main character, the therapist who has a messy, messy life and needs a therapist himself. It's relatable. It's smart humor. Great writing. Lots of heart. I think people can find a lot of relatability to it. I ended up being late to watching the show. It's been out since, uh, I think, January. And I just watched it maybe a month ago and got through it in two days because it's just it's that good. Ten episodes. So that's a great TV show. Film-wise, Eric, John, I know both of you enjoy a good historical epic. Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan, great. I can't wait. Absolutely stunning cinema. Oh, my God. Gosh, probably his best movie. It's just so, so good. A really chilling tale about man's hubris and the consequences of destructive power. It's just so good. So I can't recommend that enough. Check that out as soon as you can. I love that story, too. I love the story of the creation of the bomb. I Love is just a weird word to say, but it's, I'm fascinated by it. That was weird. World, yeah. War, World, War, <laughs> World War II history is like my thing. I'm glad you liked it, Brandon. You and I usually see eye to eye on movies, so I uh, can't wait for that. I will say on that note of history, I have a, a non-recommendation for you. I could not get into Plumbers, the story of Nixon's White House. That's a story I also love. <laughs> I'm fascinated by uh, the Watergate scandal. And I thought – I watched one episode and I hated it. I don't know, Eric, if you got around to watching it. I think John recommended it at some point on the podcast. So I, maybe I need to watch a couple more to get into it, but I, it was not for me. So you got a non-recommendation for me, huh? Yeah, sorry. I'm in the same boat you are, Eric. I, I, oh, I'm finishing up The Sopranos for the 10th time, finishing up Downton Abbey for the 20th time, and I uh, watch Jury Duty. I need something new, and I, I can't think of anything either. You recommend Jury Duty, though, right? Oh, 1,000%. It's so good. All right. Okay, well, there also we go. Nominee, Emmy nominee. Also another Emmy nominee. What do you think of The Bear being nominated as a comedy? The way that Emmys does the categories is really weird. Honestly, they kind of didn't have a choice. It's not a comedy, but it's also not exactly a drama compared to what the drama category was either. So I, it's weird. I've always had an issue with that. They need to find like a, a happy balance, a third series category that's not just drama or comedy. Because the bear is kind of like in between. There's moments of levity for sure in the bear. So I kind of get why it fell into that. But it's not a ha-ha-ha laugh track. Oh, no. I've only watched the first season. I haven't started the second season, but certainly the first season was very intense. Do you remember when uh, the Golden Globes, because they get this all the time, too, because they've got the motion pictures separated as well. And The Martian was nominated for Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. You know, that really funny story of Matt Damon stranded on Mars. (laughs) (laughs) Just weird. It's weird the bear had to compete with Abbott Elementary. And put like things like that, who are just those are so completely different shows. How do you judge between the two? They're not they're not even close in the same realm. Well, I think everybody will be, agree that we'll be glad to have John Williams back hosting next week. This has been <laughs> the Mincing Rascals with Brandon Pope and John Hansen. I'm Eric Zorn, and there will be another podcast next week. Thank you, guys. <laughs> 
Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. 